Um, hello, welcome to Confessions. My name's Giles Fraser, and this is the podcast where we talk to interesting, well-known people and try and drill down into their core beliefs and work out what it is that, that's going on with them. And I'm delighted to have, uh, as my confessee today, um, Nikki Gumbel. I'm Nikki. delighted to be with you, Giles. Very good. Um, fun to see you Vicar again. of Holy Trinity Brompton. Yep. And, um, and typically interview Dodger, I think. <laughs> you don't like them, do you? Uh, I, don't, I don't choose them, on the whole. But for you, Giles, Oh, you're anything. a love. <laughs> you're a love. My friend, the way we normally do this is um, we just start to build up a picture of where you've come from okay. and, and all that sort of stuff before we sort of go on to your, um, you know, some of the sort of stuff yeah. for which you're better known. So perhaps you paint a picture for me about your home, your folks, the, where you were brought up and something okay. like that. Okay, so my father was a German Jew. Um, he was a, um, a lawyer. He was born in 1903 in Stuttgart. Oh, um, right. And um, he was uh, from a family of lawyers and bankers. And, um, but I didn't discover anything about my father till after he died. He never told me anything. My mother took me for a walk when I was 14 and she said, your father is German and Jewish and you're never to speak to him about it. And I never did. Wow. Um, so uh, I try occasionally, but what I discovered was every subject led back to it. So you couldn't talk about anything. The only thing we ever talked about really. But he didn't have a German accent or... He, uh... had, he spoke English so perfectly. That was the only thing that could have... He had exact pronunciation of every word, um, right? and um, people di most people didn't know. You would have to be... So if he was born in 1903, he must have been caught up in the rise of the Nazis. He was... He, uh, so he was... Now, I, I mean, I know a lot more about my father now than, than five years ago. About five years ago, I discovered more about... Because a museum in Berlin was uh, researching one of my family, and they rang me and said, what did I know? And I said, I know nothing. Um, I said, what do you know? And they said, we'll send you the file. So they sent me my family tree, which I'd never seen before. Um, and they sent me lots of stuff. And now actually you can Google my family and I've been able to find out on Google more about my family than they ever told me. So, uh, but I never spoke to him about it. And every subject leads back. So the only thing you can talk about is the weather. So that was pretty much the only thing we ever talked about. Was that, but, I mean, it doesn't sound, Forgive me, but it doesn't sound a particularly intimate relationship. Well, it was, I mean, I adored my father, absolutely. He was a man of just huge integrity. Um, he, I mean, I didn't know, I mean, I knew that he wouldn't have anyone German or Japanese in the house. Oh, right. At, at our wedding, he turned his back on the Japanese ambassador um, because my father-in-law was in the embassy in Japan and we had the Japanese ambassador and as he, as he came down the line, my father turned around. He wouldn't have anything. He was so he, it was it was very very deep within him. I, so I knew those facts. I knew he was German and I knew he was Jewish. So I knew what, what would follow from sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. But um, we couldn't talk about. Do you know when he came over? Into he this came country? over. Yeah, now I know when he came over. He came over in 1927. Uh, okay. He already spoke. He was already fluent in English um, and and French and probably a bit of Italian. Um, and he was called to the bar over here. He was disbarred in Germany in 1933. 
So you think how early that was. 1933, yes. Yes, they yes, were disbarring yes, yes. Jews. Yes. Um, so when he was disbarred in Germany, he, he practiced here. He was interned in the first week of the war um, because he was German. German yeah. um, he signed up. Uh, he became a private in the British Army in 1942. And it was a full colonel by the end of the war, or a lieutenant colonel by the end of the war. Um, and he was, now I know, from his sister, after he died, his sister told me, he interrogated Nazi officers to find out how the Nazi mind worked. So, I mean, it just would have been so fascinating. We, had the, we have this in common because yeah. my father's Jewish as well. So I know your, have, your dad, is, your dad yeah. is, was Jewish. Yeah. Where, where, was, where was... Well, my family... My family we're in this country for a very, very long okay, time. Okay, okay. So they've been, okay. they changed the name from Friedeberg to Fraser okay. in 1917, I think it was, when okay. the Lusitania okay. sunk. You know, the, and there was a great deal of anti-German feeling okay. uh, in Liverpool. But and he was he German. Was, he and he was the, well, no, because they just had the name Friedeberg, so okay. he sounded German. Okay. But he was the, my great-grandfather's brother was the rabbi of the, of the Princess Road Synagogue in Liverpool. So they wow, were quite sort amazing. of, they were quite from amazing. Jewish, you know. And so I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? That yeah. sort of Jewish roots. Yeah. We, Perhaps we'll we talk share. in a minute yeah, about yeah, how yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that So that was, so that was, that was my dad. I mean, I, I, I absolutely adore it. He was a man of complete- Religion? Uh, agnostic. Right. right totally, right. Um, um, not, not, pra didn't practice, um, uh, non-practicing Jew. In fact, I found his baptism certificate Oh, so he was baptized. He the was same baptized. As my dad as they well. were all baptized because they right. thought that might help them. Yeah, that but was um, but of course it was um, didn't help you at all. So, uh, and most of his family, I discovered from his family tree, the concentration camps in which they all died, and I realised why he didn't want to talk about it. You know, it, once I saw, because I never really understood why why would my father not talk about it, but when I saw the concentration camps in which all these members of the family died. I realise it's like, so, you know, I don't know how many Christians there are in this country, but I mean, churchgoers, six, say there's six million churchgoers That's in the UK. Yeah. And supposing all of them were, were put into, not only murdered, but killed in the most horrible way that you could imagine. And a few thousand were left. And then you, one of them, you said, oh, so how was it? You know, <laughs> tell, me, tell me about it. You know, you couldn't talk, could you? Uh, just a little, I think also... Little... There was a whole generation that w were unable to talk about yeah. it. The generation after that found their voice again, but the generation... Well, people now, are, yes. you know, people who've survived now are saying, now I'm 97 and now I can talk about it. So uh, you, didn't have grand, you didn't have grandparents, you did... With, his, uh, his, his grandparents, he, his, he got his grandparents out. This is again what I've discovered. Right. Yeah. Um, right at the end. So his sister, came, he got his sister out. In fact, I've just found correspondence between him and his sister in code when he was trying to get her out. And then his grand, my grandparents, my, my grandfather was head of a law firm in Stuttgart. Um, and he just said, I'll, I'll be fine. I've got this friend who's a judge who's got a loan number in the Nazi party. He said he'll look after me. I don't need to leave. Um, and then he was arrested. Um, and he came back and he um, drank a glass of whiskey and he slept for two hours. And when he woke up, he said, we've got to leave. And that they left and they just got out. Um, and they came over here. He did, my grandparents didn't, my grandfather didn't speak a word of English when he arrived. 
He lived, having been a law, you know, head of a law firm in Stuttgart, he lived in, some, I don't know, somewhere in Bognor or something. He had a flat he, and he read the Times. He learned to read the Times from cover to cover by the time he died. Um, uh, I never met my, my grandfather, but my grandmother, I did meet. I was, she died when I was probably about three or four. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that was, the only, that was really the only family that um, uh, es escaped, as far as I can see. Or only close family. There were a couple of cousins who got out. But all the rest went to um, concentration camps. So, it, yeah, that was, that was my dad. And your uh, mum, so my, he came over here. My mother was another a barrister as well. She was, she was, they met on opposite sides of a case in Chelmsford. Okay. Um, but she, was a, she was a pupil and he was, um, he was practicing <coughs> and that's how they, they met. She was, she, was, uh, she was nominally Christian but you know, not a churchgoer at all. Um, and, uh, so religion wasn't a particular part of no. your formation as a no. child? No. My father was 49 when he got married. My mother was 36. Um, and uh, they, uh, yeah, they had no, there was no religion in our, in our house. I have one sister who's 18 months older than me. Who's and a, she's a lawyer as well, she's, isn't she? She's a QC. <laughs> there's, she's a, a, there's a theme she, here. She <laughs> is a QC. She rang me yesterday. She's been doing a fascinating course. <clears throat> I didn't even read, read this case about Huntingdon's. And she also represents all the victims of Weinstein. Um, so she's, oh, but wow. she's, but she's, a, she's, She's a fantastic person, my sister, um, really wonderful um, sister, um, and she's 18 months older. She's, she's got all the energy in the family. She runs the marathon, the London Marathon, Brighton yeah, Marathon. Yeah, so you're not lacking in the no, energy. No, 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 well, I, honestly, <laughs> if you met my sister, you'd think like oh, you're, you're, you're completely sluggish. Complete, complete half-timer. Um, so, so, uh, so you go to... So, and this is around here, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah, haven't really yeah. moved very far, yeah, have you? I have, I've had a very dull life. I've never, I've never moved out of the parish. I was born in the parish. You were born in the parish? Well, I was actually born on, in Hyde Park Corner. St George's Hospital was on Hyde Park Corner. But <coughs> my parents lived in the parish, yeah. Yeah, my parents... Um, and did you go to... Uh, so, school before you went to... Big school you went to? Yeah, school. yeah, school locally, in the, almost in the parish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I have lived... Actually, I went to school in this building. I went, my first school when I was four and a half, before this building was built, in 1959, I went to school. You really ought to get out I, more, Nick. I, 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 I went to school here. Um, uh, the, my very first term at kindergarten was in a, in a sort of tent that was here. Wow. Um, so back in, yeah, 1959. Um, so um, I, I really have. They so obviously the your, your family could reasonably well to do. Um, well, they weren't. I mean, they weren't because my father came over here with nothing. Right. Uh, he was very poor, um, but he worked, um, but they sacrificed. Now, my mother didn't have any money either, but they, they sacrificed everything they had for us. For education as well. For, for our education. Sort of yeah, they, they spent... No, my, they, all our clothes came from second-hand shops. Uh, we, we never went out. They, they, um, I mean, they, they lived the most frugal life that you could imagine. They had no money. No, they had no, no cash. Um, they bought a house that in the end became very, but I mean, it was not then, it was nothing to buy a house. Mm, mm. Um, and they scrimped and they saved. They, all our clothes were secondhand all the way through our, um, like, yeah, basically. Our, so when you go to school, let's, let's, go, let's go on to school. So yeah. you go to school, you go to Eton. Yeah. So th there's an aspirational aspect, yeah. obviously. To, my, to my clothes for Eton bought in a second-hand shop. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was completely fish Did out you of get, water was, was, was religion, uh, so obviously you've got chapel, you've got those sorts of things. Is that, yeah. 
Was that something that uh, you started to participate in in any way? Well, I had to. I hated yeah. that. I, you know, it was the most... I just literally would switch my mind off in, in chapel. And during that time, I became... I mean, I, I was brought up with no religion, and I became an atheist when I was at school. I wrote an essay disproving the existence of God right. in RE. <laughs> and I was put forward for the school prize for religious knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I someone's going to unearth that at some point. It's going to find uh, Nicky Gumblon. Yeah, no, I developed this whole sort of philosophical system which I thought disproved the existence of God. And it right. was, it, I was quite an argumentative atheist. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd sort yeah. of come down very firmly as yeah. an atheist. Yeah. So, uh, and, and um, were you a studious sort of boy at school? I mean, you're going to go on to be a, a, a lawyer yourself. So this is a sort of fairly well-trodden path in your family? Was that something yeah, that was just obviously you were going to do? I had to, I mean, I, like, I, there was no choice. My father didn't regard any other, you know, there was had no respect for any other job oh, at really? all. So it, it was like, you, you've you got a choice, you can be a barrister or you can be a barrister. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing else, nothing else. And he put me down at birth, I mean, for Chambers, He's not my sister who, who had to fight for it, although my mother was a barrister. I was, you know, it's, that's always fascinating, why did he do that? But so it's he put the me. Sexism of the time, yeah, I guess. In spite of being married to her. My, my mother was deputy chair of the GLC. She was the mayor of Kensington, Chelsea. She was a member. You know, she was in public life. She was a lawyer. But he didn't expect my sister to, you know, just like. I, I had never really understood that. Uh, anyway, but he. So, but for me, I was put down at birth. He, you know, he, he said to his friend, who was very junior at the time, when my son's 21 or whatever, will you take him as your pupil? And he said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what was the chambers? It was full pump. It was a tax chambers, and so that, okay. that's where I, I. By then, he'd become a QC, so he couldn't have me as. Pump a, court. He he couldn't have me as his pupil. So, I see, I see. so I went to the pupilage with someone else. But I, I I had. I mean, there was no way I could have not practiced as a barrister. Um, and that's what you did. So you went to Cambridge. You did law at Cambridge. Well, I did. I started off doing economics, but then I went. I switched to law. Um, and then I, I did, yeah, I did a law degree, and okay. then I went to uh, my bar exams, then I did my pupillage, uh, and then I actually uh, went into a mix set to practice. So tell me about the road to Damascus, because I'm waiting for, <laughs> I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the road to so, Damascus to appear. So I, it was in my first year at Cambridge, um, uh, and it was, um, you know, I, I had been. Uh, yeah, I had all these arguments with the the, few, the Christians that I met, um, and was totally confident in, in my position until uh, Nikki and Silla Lee came back one night. There was a mission in Cambridge. David McInnes uh, was doing it, and I was so cynical about it. Um, uh, and you know, I had said to Nikki and Silla, "Whatever you do, don't don't have anything to do with." They're, they're such a suspicious. I just found them slightly. You know, the smile was like, "What is that?" Um, and but Nikki and Silla came back one time, and they said, "Who was that? Who came Nikki back?" Nikki and Silla Lee. So Nikki Lee was. I I I know Nikki from, and I know Silla from school. They've now run the marriage course. They're you know, he's the associate oh, so with here now. But but um, uh, we had ended up by pure coincidence having rooms next door to each other, and. Um, he, he was my best friend and um, he came back and he said that he, he'd sort of kept it quiet that he was investigating because he knew how hostile I was. And he came back and said, uh, we've become Christian. I was like a sort of, 
I'm talking about confession. It was yeah, yeah. it was a confession and. Um, was this round round church at the round church? Or? Uh, no, it was ju it was just in the, in this in through David McInnes really through the talks that he'd been to of David McInnes. It was it was a big it was a big kind of mission to to the university at that time. Pretty well, well, I went to him at Great St Mary's, um, and uh, yeah, I can remember that so well. Um, but I didn't listen to a word he said, and but then they came back and said this, and I was like, what? You know, I can't believe it. Um, and it was, it was, I remember it was Valentine's Day. I'd been to a Valentine's Day party. They'd been to, to the mission. Um, and um, <laughs> You thought you'd done the better thing. <laughs> and I, but I, that, you know, I thought, I've got to help them. You know, they're completely, I, but I know nothing. And I, I li literally, I, w I thought, what can I do? I, I thought, well, I'll research. You know, I'm going to research. I, w I was reading about existentialism at the time, which I was, but I thought, look, I'm going to research religion. I'm going to read the Quran. I'm going to read um, all about religion, and so I can help them. Um, and then I, and I just went because it was it was you know late at night. I just went to my bookshelf and thought, what can I read? And I had this old Bible from school, um, from RE at school, um, and um, probably King James's. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just picked it up and I started reading it that night, and I started. Matthew's Gospel, and I literally I read Matthew's Gospel, Mark, Luke. Halfway through John's Gospel, I fell asleep. Uh, moment I woke up the next day, I carried on reading, and I read, you know, just com just completely read the New Testament. And it was really, I think it was when I in John's Gospel, um, it's, it was it was because I could sort of think when I, I remember reading the parable of the sower and thinking, this is exactly what's happening around me. I can see people. Some people are responding. Some people are ignoring it. Some people are responding with great enthusiasm, but I know it's not going to last. And, and, and then I could see, but it was really because I could see what happened to Nicky and so I couldn't dismiss it. And then reading, it was, the only way I can describe it is it was like as if the person of Jesus emerged from the pages of the New Testament and I encountered him. And, it was, and so you were reading this in your room? Yeah, in my, yeah, just reading it in my, in my room. I was like completely gripped by, by the person. I mean, I must have read it in RE, it didn't mean a thing to me completely gripped by what I read and by, by Jesus. And so I had this dilemma because I thought this, it had a, you know, it was like it rung true, but I was an atheist. There was, I had proved philosophically there could, there could not possibly be a God. So what do you do when there cannot be a God, but Jesus is speaking to you vividly. Yeah, I'm encountering, having a sort of like almost, yeah, like a, it seems to be true. Yes, so, yes, yes. so how can it be true when it's there, not can't, true. <laughs> there can't be a God because philosophically yes, it's yes, impossible yes, for there yes, to be yes, a God. Yes, 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 you know, yes, we're, we're, we're predetermined. We are, every action we do is predetermined by our, our past, by our, you know, how we were born. There's no free will. It's impossible that we could have, etc., etc. And And I think... You know, I, I, and I thought, anyway, I, I wouldn't want to be a Christian because the Christians, I, I just don't sort of think that... And that smile. That, that well, smile well, which you don't... Well, it's partly the smile. It wasn't so much the smile. It's the thought that the kind of life they were going to lead and the kind of life I wanted to lead and the kind of life I was enjoying in Cambridge was not one that I thought was compatible with being a Christian. I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to give up having fun to go down this path. So I thought, well... Maybe the best thing is to, if it is true, I'll wait.
until my deathbed. You know, I could like have all my fun, have all my fun now. Well, so this is very St. Augustine, isn't it? Because St. Augustine famously, I mean, I'm not quite, this no, is not quite the no, same no, to you, no. but nonetheless, he did, he, St. Augustine says, um, uh, uh, Lord, grant me chastity, but not yeah, yet. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly that. It was exactly that. And then I thought, that is, there's no integrity in that. You cannot, if it's true, it's, it's kind of now or never. You've got to, you've got to. So I was like, I just said, okay. I mean, it was literally just like that. Okay. So was that the next day? There was, there was, it was, I mean, I have dated it the 16th of February. Whether it was exactly the 16th of February, that's the nearest I can put it, was it was two days later that that moment occurred. I mean, I couldn't, you know, it, it, it's hard. I, I have just tried to work out what, okay. what it was, and yeah. I've said the six, which was be 48 hours later. Whether actually my memory is wrong and it was three days, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. say it was a roughly two days later. And I can remember the moment I just said, like, okay, it was like, and at that moment, it was as if everything I've been looking for throughout my life, it was just, it was that sort of sense of Jesus saying, I came that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. I thought it was going to be like absolute misery from then onwards. And then what I found was, it was like, oh, so this is why we're here. This is the purpose of our lives. So did so all of those philosophical doubts, as it were, about God's existence and those sorts of things, did you sort of just, as it were, bracket them out? I mean, that's not exactly right, but you sort of park them to... Is that partly what happens? But the, the voice, the calling well, is so vivid. Yeah. Well, I'd had this conversation, just a, a passing conversation, and someone had said to me, are you really going to let your intellectual, you know, your philosophical things put you off and I thought, how ridiculous, of course, I can't. But it was, and in that moment, I think I just thought, you know, I don't know, I just, I was so torn between the two. And that, but I, anyway, the moment I said that, it was like, okay, you know, I experienced this, 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 I don't know how you know, Jesus is the bread of life, Jesus is the, as the, uh, all that the, the sort of the hunger that I, looking back, I'd had, because I was never really happy. Actually, I had everything. You know, why why would you not be happy? In, in, you know, at aged eighteen, in in the in the fun university, masses of friends, parties, but I was never really. I mean, at the time, I if you said, "Are you happy?" I said, "Yeah, I'm really happy." But looking back, I was always looking for the next thing. It was always this. Like when I get through this, I'll get when I'm here, then I'll be happy. But it was never. And in that moment, it was like, this is, this is what life's about. It's like, it was like, this is the, this is the purpose of life. It's, it's, it's a relationship with God become, is the actual meaning of life. And that sort of hunger that I, did, I would never have said, you know, are you going around feeling spiritually hungry? No, I wasn't at all. But at the moment I, it was satisfied, I knew that that's, what it had been like before, that there was something missing in life. And was it, was it John's Gospel? That, was it I think it was. John's I gospel think it was particularly it? John's Gospel. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it was. I mean, I think it, the ground was prepared by the others. Um, like the parable of the service, seeing what was happening in the university at the time, seeing the people responding to... Because there were a lot of people responding. A lot of my friends did become Christians in that week. I mean, a, a lot of them still... You know, you know, I saw one today who I hadn't seen for... for for maybe 30 years, but he, beca he became Christian in that period. Um, 
and um, uh, uh, we had this funny thing that there were five Nickies. <coughs> and we, there was Nicky Lee, there was me, there, was, there were three other Nickies. We were all, we used to have, it was just a, in our first, first few months there, we used to have these Nicky lunches. We just said every day the five Nickies would have lunch and there were a couple of honorary Nickies and there were a couple of um, young women called Nicky. And it, so it was right, kind right. of like, it was a Nicky's, <laughs> a Nicky's club on all five of those became Christians within, certainly within a year, all of them. And, and so many more of my friends. So it was, it was an extraordinary thing that happened. Um, the way you describe it, and it's actually, it sort of chimes in quite well with me actually. For a while I felt I was sort of writing checks emotionally that I would, wasn't sure quite how I could cash intellectually. Yes. yes. But nonetheless, that, that's yeah. what I felt. I felt obliged to, I felt obliged to do it. Yes. But one thing that strikes me, which has struck me a number of times since I've met you, is you're a, you're, I mean, I'm a bit like this, you're a proper old softie, aren't you? I mean, it's an emotional, the emotional punch is yeah. part of the, and, and that, yeah. I suppose St John's Gospel is, yeah. is emotionally, yeah. as perhaps richer than the others, yeah. emotionally richer yeah. and so forth. So I'm yeah, not yeah. surprised St John's yeah, Gospel yeah. No, was there. I just, I was... Um, yeah, it was, it was so... And what about the next few days after this? Was the, was I mean, the I was like... completely... Um, once I saw it, it was like, oh, right. <laughs> I must tell everybody. <laughs> right. It was like... Oh, right. You know, oh, you're you know, probably quite a pain, actually. Oh, I was... <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I was... I'm always a pain, but I was more of a pain <laughs> than, than ever because I just thought, all these, I've been, I've been arguing as an atheist all these, these, you know, well, certainly months for the people I knew at university. Um, I better go and tell them it's true. <laughs> and I thought that, that, you know, the moment they're here, they'll, they'll, they'll realise. Right, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. it wasn't quite like that. But, but I just thought, God, why would you not want to tell everybody? I mean, like, yeah. if, you've, if you've discovered this, yes. if this has been your experience, I've had 18 years when I, life was like, black and white and suddenly it's it's in colour why would I why would I not want to go and tell everybody look look this can happen to you too and, and you've dedicated your life to telling everybody really I, mean, I guess I what, have yeah yeah I love <laughs> first I did it I mean you know I, I it was crazy because you know, my wife Pippa wasn't a Christian and I went up to her on a dance floor and I thought right did you meet her after this well no I I had I had known her for um, she'd always, she'd always, well, she had been since we met because I was a member of a nightclub which she wanted to get into, I and see. she'd rung me up and said, "Could I get her in?" Right, and that's right, how, that's right, how we right, met. Right, right. But um, we had been sort of like almost best. She'd been staying in Cambridge with me, and um, we were like <coughs> best friends, but sort of brothers and sisters, really. Um, and um, so when I saw her afterwards at a party, I said to her, "You know, I, I thought, well, yeah, I've got to tell her." So I just went up to her and said, "Look, you look awful. You really need Jesus." <laughs> So that was like, that put her off she for a very long away. time. Uh, well, no, that put her off for a long time. She, <laughs> she became a Christian through something totally different. I mean, that, okay. was, that was completely different. Um, but um, no, I was, I was a pain. I was, as you described it, I was a complete well, pain. I mean, that's just... That was a complete pain. Um, and, um, but I did have this thing that, why would anyone not want yes. to have a relationship? But you, you decided, but, but, but you went on. But you pursued your career in the bar, so the bar. Well, I had to. I had to because I thought about getting ordained straight away. But Did I you? thought, I thought, um, because that's really. Dad what, wouldn't have liked that. He uh, no, no, no. He would have. 
um, I couldn't do that to him. Um, so that's why I switched mom, to work. Mum might not like that either. My mother said, you know, I don't mind you becoming a Christian as long as it doesn't change your life. That was basically her <laughs> <laughs> attitude. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, yeah, but sure she, did, she did very much. Um, I mean, she became a member of this church, and, okay. and part of it. she was. She came r right. I mean, when she died, you know, I found her Bible, and was you know, she really came to. And your father was. Were your, was your father still alive? At this My point? father was still alive. My poor father. He was. He was. I think it was very hard for him. Um, I think he found it um, difficult. I mean, he just couldn't understand. Although I think... Did he think of, from his experience and being Jewish, did he have some sense that Christianity was also a sort of persecutory type of thing for, I, for Jews? I wish or? I could have had those kind of conversations with him. Yeah. All I know is that he respected Bonhoeffer. Okay. Um, so I knew there was one Christian he respected. I don't know how I found that out, but I knew he respected Bonhoeffer. Um, uh, so... And I, as you would, you know, I believe that he had come to a faith before he died. I believe that um, on n not a huge amount of, of sort of, I couldn't, uh, in my heart, I believe that he, he did. Um, he, I don't think he ever wanted to let on to me what was going on, because I think he didn't want to encourage me in any way. Um, I think, I don't think he minded me becoming a Christian. But I think he was worried about me. You might not become a barrister. I might leave the bar. I think that was what okay. the only thing that really worried him. Um, and it was purely love. You know, he didn't want me to give up a career at the bar and do something crazy like be a, be a vicar. Um, so off he went to the bar. I went off to the bar, yeah, yeah. And um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I did try to get all I tried to see the bishop, bishop, but the bishop wasn't remotely interested. So, oh, really? I, so, I, so, I, so <laughs> that door sort of shut. Um, so I went off. Was that at a time when evangelicals in the Church of England were, I mean, evangelicals, had, I mean, these labels are all silly. Yeah, I, I, we don't like, I we don't never like call myself an evangelical. I, I hate I, those labels. I understand. But you know, I, but, but yeah. all that aside, let me yeah. just have, yeah. have some words just, yeah. just to yeah. hang something on, yeah. you know. But there was a time when, the, the sort of enthusiasm that you described yeah. was slightly looked down upon yeah. by the sort of Athenaeum type of bishops yeah. and so forth who, 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 who thought that just wasn't really the way of talking about religion. Yeah, and so I don't forth. know. Did you, did you butt up against I that don't know. I don't know whether, why, he, why he wasn't interested. Um, um, I, I met him funny enough that my mother was opening the world's end of state. Because she, I don't know, she was mayor, I think, at the time, or something other. And he was the bishop was there, and I went. I tried to sort of engage him, and go. <laughs> he just was like, "Go away," um, um, and um, and I tried anyway. I tried, and it never, it never. So so I kept going with with um, the bar, and and then I really loved it. I got so sort of completely gripped by the, by the bar, and I. I what sort of law did you practice? Well, I, 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 my father put me down to tax, tax change. My father's view was that tax would be the only thing that survived. Crime he dismissed as rubbish. Um, civil law he thought would all be insurance, and he thought tax would be the only thing. So that's where he put me down. So I did six months of tax. But I, when I was, by that stage, I knew I wanted to, long term, I wanted to get all down. I thought tax is no practice for ordination. So I went into crime, um, uh, and then I went to a, to a mixed common law set which gave me a lot, because I was actually, funny enough, I was, I was, because I am essentially, when you do all these tests, I'm an introvert, but I definitely wasn't good at 
articulating um, or speaking. So I, I, it was really hard for me to stand up on my feet in court. Um, and I find it exceptionally difficult, but I did learn. People find it hard to believe because you're such a powerful advocate, Nikki. Well, I, I've, it's not a natural, it's a kind of, um, I'm, I'm passionate and therefore if you're passionate about something. It bubbles out. It does bubble out, but, but, but sort of like, um, there are some people, Sandy Miller, my predecessor here, was a natural orator. Um, and I, there are people here, there's one on our team now, Stephen Foster, he's a natural orator. You can see it. I was never, I've never been that. It's all hard work, learning, practice, um, etc. So, so I think the, the bar was very useful for that. But while I was there, I got totally gripped by it. And I loved the law and I loved, um, you know, the, the whole sort of lifestyle of, of being a barrister. But then, but that's not gonna, that's not gonna last forever given this story that we've uh, had. So. No, no, well I, I got to a point where I had to decide, you know, I, I love this, but in my spare time I was doing the stuff that I'm doing now. Where uh, did you go to church, Nicky? Did so you... I, was, I was, I was here, I was part of the church, yeah, so I, I so in 1976 I left um, university and I came, Sandy Miller just arrived here, it was a very small congregation um, and a uh, very traditional uh, prayer book. Um, but Sandy uh, was, had been a barrister and um, it was, he was about 36 at the time probably, but he was, he was doing stuff here which really impressed me. And, and he really, I think Sandy as a person just hugely impressed me. Um, and so that's why I, um, yeah, I joined, I joined the church here basically in '76. So, so you come here, you leave the you leave the law, you get ordained. In 1983, I yeah, I went off to. Um, you find it. So you get Oxford, ordained. You go to did an Oxford degree in theology, theology. Um, um, and then you came back here in '86. And you found it tricky to find somewhere to do a I, I was turned down or nine parishes and I was with that nine parishes yeah yeah, you yeah. Down. well either tell me yeah either they were totally unsuitable or they turned me down most of them turned me down um and so I was without a job I why actually did they, why did they do that I don't know I was just hugely disappointed by some of them you know it was just like we don't we don't think if we was if we were a smaller outfit we'd or you know, some of them were small some of them but they all I don't know they just they just um uh there were different reasons but you know one of uh, one or two would, uh, one, one I think didn't have a place in the end, one um, just didn't think I was up to it, they said there's a church plant involved and we don't think you're up to running church plant, and another said, um, I can't remember, they all had different, yeah, yeah. different reasons and you get like, oh, that's another, another, um, another failure. Uh, so I ended up without a, without a, um, I, everyone else at Theological College had got their place. I left in the summer, still hadn't got a place. I, I signed on, um, uh, and I and I thought about going back to being a barrister. I just I didn't know what I was going to do. So, but and then Sandy rang me totally out of the blue, and he had managed to persuade the bishop to allow me to come back here because there was a rule that you couldn't go back to the place you'd come from. So they said no, I couldn't come back here. Um, but Sandy had said, you know, this is the alternative. He's going to go back to being a barrister. You've spent all this money training him. Now are you happy for him to go back to be a barrister? And in the end, the bishop said, no, I can see, you know. Actually, I think he was, it was sort of compassion in the end. We can't let this happen. So, um, 
really. I mean, I, mean, I was so surprised. I never thought I would get come back here, be offered a place back here. Um, so, I, and, it, and and how how long into your time here did uh, Sandy Miller say to you, "We've got this thing called the Alpha Course that you might like to have a look at"? Well, Nikki Lee ran the Alpha, so it was all this. You know, this is the mates. Nikki ran it. He ran it for five years. So I didn't start it. So Charlie Marnham started it. His wife Trisha came up with the name Alpha. Then John Irvin turned it into a ten-week course with a weekend, um, and he's really the person who developed Alpha because the courses was yeah was designed by him and then Nicky ran it for five years and he ran it brilliantly and it grew and it flourished um, and then he sort of kind of it was a slightly strange thing but he went off to run Onso Square then we were sort of looking at perhaps it being a separate plant so he was now it's just part of the same thing but at that stage it was separate so he'd gone and I was left I was the only curate um, and Sandy said um um, you know, he wanted me to run Alpha. I said, I don't really want to run Alpha because I'm interested in evangelism and Alpha is a course for people who are already Christians. Um, but there was no option. You know, there was no one else to run it. So I, took, I wasn't interested in it at all, really, because I was doing lots of other things that I was interested in. I ran it the first time, October 1990. Um, and uh, I remember someone who was on the team came up to me after and said, you, you've really got to work on your talks because they're so bad. And I, I'd only done about two of the talks. Um, um, and so I, I did try much harder the second, second course. I tried much harder with my talks. Um, but the second course, I had this group of people who had come, most of them as a result of the carol service. And they were, they were outside of the church. And all of them you know, had this experience of the Holy Spirit at the weekend. Most of them are still friends of ours. Um, and um, I just thought, wow, this course, we could change this course and make it something that's for people outside the church. And then the next course was, was a lot bigger. People on that course were bringing their friends. And then it just started to snowball with people outside the church. How many people have done the Earth course? Now? Yeah. Oh, I mean... Um, uh, Ballpark. Uh, well, at least 25 million done it, yeah. 25 million people? Yeah. yeah. All around the world? Or, yeah. How, how, did, how did this thing just explode? I think, I mean, I think, I mean, I was sitting in an alpha group on Wednesday night. I, I, I've done, this is my 89th small group in a row. Um, and um, I wouldn't miss it for the world. So now I just sit in the small group. I'm, I'm not, I don't do any of the talks anymore. Well, I, do, I might do one talk if I get invited. Uh, but I, and I don't lead a small, I just sit in a small group. I have done for, for, because it's, why wouldn't anyone do Alpha? It is so interesting. I sit in a group of, of like 20, average age 27, uh, everyone's, eight, most people are aged between 18 and 35, and they're sitting in a room discussing the most interesting questions you could ever discuss. You know, like, first night of the discussion, like, what makes you happy? You know, Talk on the cross. What do you feel about forgiveness? Do you find? Do you ever, ever need to forgive? Do you ever feel that? And then later on, do you ever feel that you need to be forgiven? Uh, have you ever? Have you ever tried praying? What? How was that? How did that go? Have you ever tried reading the Bible? What? Uh, all these questions that that are just so interesting. When you get it, you ask completely open-ended questions. You're not preaching at them. Conversation is going 
like this. It's not, it's not between the, the One hosts. of the things that you're, you've, um, you're very, very good at, and I know that you, you insist upon with all the other people that, that you sort of train up and so forth, is listening, listening, listening. Yeah, listening it's all is about really listening. Important. It's and all about listening. That's what I love about and it. And shut up. You yeah, know because when you're talking, you're just repeating <clears throat> what you know. When you're listening, you might learn something. So listen. Just listen and ask open-ended questions. So the basic, you, what, there was only one question when we started, which is, what do you think? And then we developed it to what you feel, and now what you want. But uh, it's like, what do you think? What do other people think? And then let them discuss. Don't, don't be the person, you know, you're not guiding the conversation. Let the conversation just happen and watch. And it's just, it's so amazing and so fascinating. Is that, I haven't done the F course, uh, so I, I don't know, but... Are people, I mean, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I'm a suspicious old thing, you know. No, so no, part of it, so I'm a suspicious old thing. So part of it would think, well, there must be some sort of guidance or that, something that some people might call manipulation or something like that, some way in which people are led or... Um, it's not just you sitting there and listening to people. No, they're, they're talks. I mean, so there's a series of talks, which, which is so the... Um, the so the, the full man of the evening, people come for food, they hear a talk, and those talks have been honed over the years because it runs in the Catholic Church, it runs in the Anglo-Catholic Church, it runs in the Presbyterian Church, the Pentecostal, Salvation Army. So there are a lot of things. You know, if you take, if you take things like the sacraments, the difference between the Catholic Church and the Salvation Army is pretty extreme. How do you find a way through these kinds so of things? So you de designed we, it to be... Well, we, well, we didn't design... We, as possible. Well, we designed it for the people who were coming on our course, but we found that every part of the church was using it. Now, there were tiny bits of it that people <coughs> said, like the Catholic Church said, uh, basically, we agree with everything. There are other things we want to add. Well, that's true of everybody. But then when we, there were Catholic theologians who got... We got a group of Catholic theologians in France looking at it, uh, well, they got, the bishops in France got a group together and then we had discussions and then we made changes so that to make sure that there was nothing in it that was incompatible. But there's much more that Christians agree on than they disagree on. Exactly. It's basically the things that Christians, not every Christian, of course there's stuff on, on it that people say, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that, but basically yeah. uh, the Catholic, it's nothing contrary to the Catholic Catechism, nothing contrary to Anglican doctrine, nothing contrary to Pentecostal teaching, nothing contrary to the Salvation Army, Presbyterians, Reform. We've tried to make it like that. So those are the talks, and they're basically, who is Jesus? Why did he die? You know, death and resurrection. Who, the person of Jesus, death and resurrection, faith, Bible, prayer, guidance, Holy Spirit, church, um, you know, all, all, we, we live in a, I mean, people say, we live in a secular age, young people don't care about this sort of stuff, you know, that uh, this, this is, that this sort of, people don't go to church, and you, you, yeah. Yeah, you see something different. Yeah, I mean, people, what you see is, is people, well, people are looking for, uh, they're looking for, I think, three things that, that people, everybody's looking for. People are looking for purpose, they're looking for community, connection, uh, and they're looking ultimately for love. So why they, why Alpha works, people come and they feel loved. And that's the first thing they do is they walk into the church. Food. There's food. There's, and they get into a small group with two hosts, two helpers. The helpers are probably just on the last course. The hosts 
you know, just the young people who are, know nothing, most of them host, know, they don't know theology, they, they don't necessarily know any theology at all, and they're not particularly, but they will love them. They, but then encourage them, they come into an atmosphere that is, I come out of a work environment that's often quite hostile, quite sort of, I don't know, cynical, quite, and they come somewhere where they are accepted for who they are and loved for who they are, encouraged, just welcomed, and I think that, after a bit, starts to have an impact. And they make friends with the people in the, in the group, they connect with the people, because in that atmosphere people are honest. And when people start to talk and say, you know, I'm suffering from an eating disorder, my mother died of cancer last year, immediately you, you start, or, you know, or like our helper in, in our group says, says um, uh, she, father was a German businessman who had an affair with my Ghanaian mother and I've never met my father um, and my mother was uh, uh, an alcoholic and couldn't cope with me so she sent me off to orphanages in, in Ghana which is where I was brought up. Uh, like everybody, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a connection and you know, as you know, we, we think we're impressed with people, people come off, sometimes some of, the, we, some of the guests arrive kind of like, I'm really strong, I'm going to impress you with my strength. But we don't connect through our strength, we connect through our vulnerabilities. And it's when, the, as the course goes on, that, that sort of comes down and people start to talk, yeah, this is really me, this is what I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with an addiction. So many people now are struggling with some kind of fear, anxiety, addiction, um, and they're actually desperate. Um, and they come into an environment where people are talking about these things and being honest about them. So you've been doing this for many 80, years? 89 small groups in a row, so it's, it's nearly 30 years, yeah. Have you, and many of the people who come to your groups are younger people, aren't they? I mean, yeah. it's not exclusive, Aver but many well, average are... age is 27. I mean, the okay, median so, age is 27. Okay, so that's, so they really are young people. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you noticed, having done nearly 90 of these in a row, have you noticed a change in the sort of anxieties that young people have, or the sort of things they present and want to talk about? Well, I think anxiety has become much more, well, whether people are prepared to talk about it more, but it, it's, it's become almost universal. I mean, it's like... Everyone seems to be wrestling with anxiety and fear. It's like it's more than pandemic. when you started doing that. Well, well, people are talking about it a whole lot I more. See. Uh, I see. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there are lots of shifts that have happened in that. I mean, I think one of the shifts is a really interesting shift in this small group, uh, which I haven't seen so clearly before. Is in the early groups, people say, you know, I'm really interested in this, but the things that put me, puts me off is Christians. Because they're such hypocrites, and you know, I know these Christians, and they say they're Christians, but they they talk about people behind their back, and they're da 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 da. In this small group, so many of the people are there because of an, they say, you know, well, I'm here because I've, I have a friend who's a Christian, and they've I've just seen them go through the most horrific thing in in their life. You know, their daughter had had um, leukemia and I watched as, as they went through that in two, two years in hospital and what they have in their life is what I want. I've seen they're just such wonderful people. They're so kind, they're so peaceful through all of this and I want what they've got. And you know, there were so many people in the group who were saying, I'm here, my friend is, my friend's a Christian. I, I've seen his, I see how he treats his wife. I've seen how their relationship, I want, I want what my friend's got. So this sort of thing from 
where, where 30 years ago there were loads of people, Christian, but people were like, oh yeah, but now the people who are actually Christian, and, and they don't want to say it, because that another big shift is 30 years ago, people would be slightly embarrassed to say, I'm an atheist, um, or I, now it's I, the other way I don't go to church. Now, they lie almost universally about what they're doing on Wednesday night. They, they don't tell their friends they're going to Alpha. They've all got, when you come, come to the one, uh, week, it's not next week, when we're asked them, what if, has anybody, one of the questions, has anybody told anybody they're doing Alpha? And that is a fascinating thing. No, I'm not any of my friends. I, I, I'm told I just go to the gym every Wednesday night, or I'm, I'm learning French, or there are all these. You hear it's hilarious what they've told their friends they're doing on Wednesday night because they don't want to say, they don't want to say. And the word Jesus is an embarrassing word, as except as a swear word, to put on your lips. And so that is a huge shift in our in our society. But it means if they do come, they they come because they really want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikki, the other thing that you do, which is a part important part of your ministry, is you have this Bible reading um, uh, app thingy. You have to tell me all about it. That every day you uh, broadcast uh, a certain part of the scripture. You go through the Bible, and then you have some commentary about it. Will you tell me just a little? Well, bit? okay, because I, I think I encountered Jesus through reading the Bible. So I love the Bible. And every day since then, pretty much, I can, I, you know, there may have been a day I've missed, but pretty much since that day in, in 1974, when I, I've read the Bible, because I want to encounter, I, I want that to happen, I want that to continue. I want that encounter with Jesus to continue. So that's become a sort of, and I've done different patterns. But in um, Christmas 1990, Sandy gave me a Bible in one year, which is like a bit of a psalm, a bit of a proverb, a bit of the New Testament, a bit of the Old Testament. And I started reading it. And I read it for I don't know how many years. And in a year, you get you, through the whole thing. In a year, you'll have read the whole Bible. So, um, and I started doing that as a, as a pattern. And then back in 2009, um, we just thought, wouldn't it be fun if we encouraged everyone in the church to, who wanted to, to do, to read the same passages so that you could have a chat. You say, oh, Giles, what did you, what did you think of, you know, Mark 4? You know, what did you think of the, did it where you stopped by the Psalms? So, so we suggested anyone, and we, Pippa and I, my wife Pippa and I would email our thoughts <coughs> to the I congregation. See. And we started doing that uh, um, January the 1st. And, and um, uh, so, and then we did that for a bit, and then it sort of took off. And, and I started getting really into it, you know, what was, finding a theme. That find, I'd find, what I found was, I was always surprised, there seems to be a theme. There, it's this is something you do every day? I've done it every day now, since... since so you, as, as a discipline, you get up, you say your prayers or whatever you do, you clean your teeth, and then you, you sit down... I, I, yeah, it's the first thing. So I, so I actually, I personally, I read the Bible first because I want to hear what God's saying to me before I talk to him. So I, it's like, I, I do that first and then, and then I walk around High Park because I, I find if I sit on, in a chair, I just fall asleep. So I, I walk, I, I find it easier to talk and walk. I still get distracted and maybe that in the 45 minutes or 50 minutes. Oh, so I'm you have a dictaphone, do you, or something like no, that? No, no, I just, I just walk right. Oh, no, no, the Bible in one year, I do, like, that take, 
I try now to limit myself to an hour. It used to take me two and a half hours. I'm trying to, as a discipline, keep it to an hour. But um, then I go and I walk around the park to pray. Um, and, but that is, that's how I find it easiest to pray, just walking around the park. But, but the, the Bible thing. So I, I, anyway, I started doing it and I've, I found there was a theme. And then I start to put a story at the front. And then um, it just developed over the, over the last, whatever it is, 11 12 years, I think it's the 12th year I'm doing it now. Um, and then now we're doing a youth one and a, and a shorter version. Because to do the whole thing, there's an app now and an audio, it's 25 minutes. David Suchet does the, you know, Poirot does the, does the readings. Um, and Everything is pretty high end, here, um, isn't it? Well, it, you know, <laughs> I was very blessed. We, we, we met David and I just ha happened to hear him reading the Bible. And I said, you know, it's so beautiful. Why don't you go and go back to and record it? And he, he recorded John's Gospel and now he's recorded the whole Bible. And um, he's kindly allowed us to use that. So, so um, uh, but now we're doing a, like a 10 minute version of it and a youth version of it. How many people, people listen to this? Uh, I don't know, a lot, a lot of people listen to it. I mean, hundreds of thousands listen to it now, but it's, it's uh, and now it's going to different languages in Chinese and Spanish and yeah, all these things. So all this time with the Bible, I'm going to ask you a cheap question. Just on, a cheap go on, question. Go on. The best bits, Nick. Oh, the, okay. the best, the best bits. Okay. I, so there are some, there are some books that usually are dearer to us that seem to be yeah, closer yeah. to us than other. Yeah. Maybe John, like you said, yeah, yeah. John's. Because what, what is the sort of like, you know, what are the books that 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 for you just speak to you particularly? Uh, I mean, I I love Jesus. I love you know. I love the words of Jesus. I love I love the Gospels. Um, um, and I love, you know, I, 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 there are bits that I don't like, <laughs> yeah. there are bits that, uh, or at least that I skip uh, quite a bit of, you know, if I'm in Numbers or Leviticus, to be honest, I do sometimes just look, oh, another list of names, I'm not going to read all that. Yeah, 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 David yeah. Suchet reads them beautifully, and yeah. he reads them, he told me this, he, he re-recorded the, all the lists of names because he realised that that was someone. That was Giles Fraser. That right, was. Right, right. That was. So he right. read it. And that, he went back and read them, thinking that was that was. What or, a beautiful or, thing or to Giles, say. Giles Fraser's grandfather. <clears throat> you know that. So he read those. But I'm afraid I haven't got quite yeah, yeah, that yeah, dedicated. Yeah, yeah. But the bits are the bits I, I I love. I love the. I love. I mean, I do find the New Testament a whole lot easier than the Old Testament. And, but and I love the Psalm. I love Proverbs. I love. You know that. I, I just love. But it's not. It's not. It's the sense of God speaking to you through right. it that, right, is, right, right. that satisfies a spiritual hunger. That it's like, yeah, that's. When you when you um, I, I'm a bit interested in your dad again because yeah. I, I suppose this is the same one of my dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. The sort of slightly Jewishness and yeah, so forth, yeah. which which is a way of, you know, Christians have not always valued the Hebrew scriptures as much yeah. as they should. Yeah. And and the way the Hebrew scriptures yeah, yeah. sort of inform yeah. and support yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and the beauty in them and so yes. forth. I find that I find that more and more actually that, yeah. that they that they do that. Uh, how but you, you probably speak Hebrew, don't you? I I, I so badly, Nikki. It's not even. I try to learn. It's so difficult. I I, I can't I even say that I speak Greek. Hebrew. My father actually insisted I learnt Greek because he was he wanted me to learn classical Greek. So I had learned classical, which made it so much easier with Koine Greek for the yeah. New Testament. Yeah. But I tried learning Hebrew. I just, I couldn't do it. I went to one Hebrew lesson. I was like, I'm never... I usually, have them, I usually have Hebrew words written on my 
I wish I spoke. My son does. My son speaks Hebrew. Has always learned it, but it, but I just, I just, I couldn't do it. And I would love to read the the the, the, um, the Bible. No, my I, three my three year old is fluent. Amazing. I mean, it's fluent. It's, it's fluent, oh. and I love it. And I have this fancy. You sh you shouldn't sort of like you know you just like you should let your children do what your children do and say well. But I have this fancy that he's going to one day grow up to be a great Hebrew scholar. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Because he's rabbits on in Hebrew it's all so the time. It's so amazing to learn to, to learn it as a child. Is is the, I wish I I wish I I could study the the no I, the course. I mean, you know, the bits of the Old Testament. I mean, that, that, and Genesis is really. I mean, you, it's gripping, isn't it? So what the one thing I find sometimes when I oh no. Bible in one year, it's at the end. I want to read tomorrow. What happened to Joseph? I can you forget what that I mean the storytelling in of uh, you know in in, um, in in Genesis is uh, unbelievable, isn't it? You're, it's so gripping. And parts of the Old Testament of course are are, are absolutely gripping. But uh, generally, like you have to read it through the lens of yeah, Jesus. No, My friend, um Let's talk about the Church of England and the Church, church, and church. church of England. So one of the one of the interesting things is, I mean, we're talking, we're both ordained in the Church yes. of England. Okay. Yes. Now that might seem a very parochial concern, given we've been talking yeah. life, the universe, and yeah. everything, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. forth. But we are both ordained in the yeah. Church of England, yeah, and the yeah, Church yeah. of England is where we both draw our salary and <laughs> and uh, you know have our home and so forth. Yeah. The the Church of England. How do you sit? In relationship to it, well, I lo I love the church. <laughs> I love the, and I often, you know, I sort of like um, Churchill and democracy, isn't it? You know, um, Churchill saying that democracy is is the, the worst form of government apart from all the others. <laughs> and, and you sort of look at the church thing, and you think all the way it's run, you think it's the worst form of government apart from all the others. And um, actually, no, I. I, I I love the church, and it's it's my family, but I do love all the. I love the Catholic Church too. I really love the Catholic Church, and I love the Pentecostal Church. You you have a much you have a much more ecumenical palate than people might otherwise expect. You know? I I love you know I love. I've, we've done so many conferences with the Catholic Church, and I absolutely love the Catholic Church, and I love. Um, and you know, I've done conferences with Pentecost. I love the Pentecost. I love the Salvation Army. You know, I have a huge admiration for the mm. Salvation. I love the Baptists. I love the Methodists. I we've done conferences for every part of the church, and I always go there. And I I love these people. I'm I love just, this. There's, there's a gush of positive energy that comes <laughs> comes out from you, Nikki. It's like well, I, always. Well, I love the church. I love the church, and I think the variety of the church is you know, God's diverse. I love diversity. Diversity is so beautiful. Uh, you know, ethnic diversity is so beautiful. But so is so is the diversity in the church. And if you bring together, like you know, that's why I love some of our leadership conferences, where you bring together people from all different parts of the church and all parts of the world. There's something so beautiful. To me, that's a picture of heaven, where every tribe, every nation is represented. But you know, the, but the the diversity of the. I think we need each other. I think. I I. I I, I agree. When I was when I was I completely agree. Obviously, I completely agree. And I I love listening to you. I love listening to the sort of and this whole we're sitting here in your HTB and the whole of HTB is sort of is lit up by many people, including your sort of energy and positivity and so forth. But how does the sort of darker side of 
I guess, faith, the, the stuff which is, you know, where we, where we have to sort of wrestle with not our positivity, dark nights of the yeah. soul, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I, I'm sure that's there in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your, oh, my your, goodness. Your yeah. positive stuff is yeah. sort of, you, you don't always hear it because, because you're, yeah. so, you're such an enthusiastic well, my, person. Um, in um, 1996, I was playing squash with my best friend, or one of my closest friends, um, who was a church warden here, Mick Hawkins. And uh, literally, he turned to fair backhand and he dropped dead on the squash court. Um, in front of me and he had six children, the youngest child was six um, and um, I just, uh, the, the shock, the you know that, that was when I, I began to understand why my father couldn't talk about um, his past because the trauma of that moment, I, I, couldn't, I had to go and get counselling in the end, um, like only about four or five years ago I went, I had to go and get CBT counselling um, and I had to get, um, and I hadn't even talked to, to my wife Pippa, about what I actually felt. I couldn't talk about it, it was so traumatic. Um, and I still can't, I find it very hard to talk about it because it was, and at that moment, why? Why did this an amazing guy who was such a good friend die leaving leaving six children who, who kind of became our, our sort of, I'd love them to be our adopted children, but that would, I couldn't sort of do that to, to Mick was their father. But I, as much as I could be a father to them, I've tried to be a father to them. I've married five out of six. The other one was in South Africa and I couldn't do the wedding. But, but, um, uh, but you know, when I watch, um, uh, the daughters going down the aisle with the two brothers leaving that you know, I, I just I, and it leads it, us on to the it, question about why 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 did yeah why did why did why did God allow that and I, I I you know they gave me lots of drugs to make me sleep then on that night but I couldn't sleep and at five o'clock in the morning I, I went for a walk and I you know I just said God I'm never going to know why you did this but I, I'm going to make a decision to not give up believing. Um, and C.S. Lewis talks about a, a door slammed in your face where you, where you sort of feel you're going to feel close to God in those moments. And it wasn't like that at all. It was, it was really, really, really difficult. And of course, it's now 40, uh, 25 years later, almost 25, it'll be 25 years this year, and the, the pain still subsides. But it's still, it's still with you. It's still... You know, it's still I still feel it, um, and it, what I've what I've been through is nothing compared to what most human beings have suffered. You know, if I if I ask you what's the hardest thing, you'll have something that's really hard for you. Every human being has goes through really tough things, and that is it. And it, you think why? Why does God allow? I don't know. I don't know why God allows these things to happen. And it is a, it's the biggest challenge to faith is. Why does God allow all the bad stuff to happen? Of course, there are all the philosophical answers. Oh, it's because you know if we live in a fallen world. It's because God uses suffering. It's because He's going to put it all right in the end. But it doesn't. None of it really completely works. But the only thing you can say is, well, look at the cross. You know, this is the God we believe in—a God who has come to this earth and suffered for us, and now suffers with us. 
And I, to me, that's the only uh, way that, 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 that our faith can hold is, is the fact that, that God is a God who suffers. And the, 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 it's Jesus. Again, it's back to Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus was not aloof from suffering. He came and suffered. But he also overcame suffering. The res, it's the resurrection. So that suffering does not have the last word. Suffering has been defeated. There is the story ends well, and we just have to hold on to that. Sometimes, what what do you actually hold on to at the end of the day? You hold on to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You you bear the scars as he bears the scars. Yeah, you suffering, but that that doesn't nullify the resurrection. Surrounded by people who are suffering, you know that is that is our world. Um, So, but but we have a message of hope. It's not a message of despair. It's a me- we have a message of hope for a world that desperately needs hope. We all need hope. Life is tough. Life is difficult. No one has an easy life. Um, but but we ha- into that, we have a message of hope. I, I think we're going to leave it there. <laughs> Nicky Gumbel, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, I'm going to show you hand. We do <laughs> yeah, that yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do help. Help. Thank you for listening to this episode of Confessions with me, Giles Fraser. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review it and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be joined by another guest next week for another episode of Soul Bearing and I do hope you'll tune in then. And do check out the website unheard.com. Confessions.